Good morning. Uh, if you're visiting with us, my name's Jesse. Uh, I'm not a pastor here. They just let me preach this morning, so I'm excited. So, glad to have you with us. Glad to see you. If you could grab your Bibles and open to Psalm 130. Chapter, or Psalm chapter 130, that's where we're going to be this morning. And if you don't mind, when you've arrived, if you'll stand out of reverence for God's Word. Thank you, Chris. Hear the word of the Lord. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, you are good. You are merciful. You abound in steadfast love. You are righteous. God, who could stand before you? Lord, I pray that you be glorified this morning, God. I pray that it's not my words. Lord, I pray it's your words. God, I pray above all else you will be glorified. Father, help me to have confidence not in myself but in you so that you will be glorified and that you will be feared. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So since we're jumping into Psalm 130, or know we're taking a break from the, the series that Michael's walking through in the book of Judges. Just let me give you real quick, brief background. Um, if you notice, the transcript, the transcript in your Bible will say a song of ascent. So this is one of the 15 song of ascents uh, in the Psalter, that's Psalms 120 through, through Psalms 134. Uh, some of them written by David, some of them written by King Solomon, uh, but a lot of them are anonymous, just as this one is. We're not really sure who the author is. Um, so when it comes to the ascents... Um, some scholars say that these are, these are psalms that, that the Israelites would sing as they make their ascent up to the temple to worship the Lord. Others say that it could be that these were songs, they're also known as pilgrim songs. So when they were doing their pilgrimages to go to the festivals and the feasts, this is one of the songs that they would sing. Uh, but so notice it's in a song of, an, of ascent, and then we see here just a little bit of the background. Um, the author is just in a place of deep, deep despair. Um, so what I, what, I want, what I want you to see this morning, and let me tell you a little story just maybe so I can help make it a little more clear for you. Um, I have the sweetest daughter, Rin. She is uh, 14 months now. So the first four months of her life, um, she was born in April, and in the first four months of her life were just, they were really hard, like really, really hard for Megan and I. She is having a lot of uh, medical issues that we thought maybe had to do with breathing, where she couldn't breathe super well. Very stressful. We did test after test after test. And they didn't, they kind of never really figured out what was going on. It was just more of a sense of we just thought that, um, or they just thought that she just had to grow a little more and just her, di her digestive tract just had to mature so she could control. Um, and it was a really hard time. For the first four months of her life, she didn't sleep on, she didn't 
she didn't sleep unless Megan and I were holding her. So we spent a lot of times, um, every time she was asleep, we were in our bedroom with the lights off and just, it was tough. But also in that was the joy that we had, the sweetest little girl. The sweetest little girl. Um, and with all of the sorrow and with all of the grief and just the uncertainty of not knowing what is going on with, with Ren, there was still that joy there. And that's what I want you to see this morning, is that even in the depths, because of the steadfast love and the plentiful redemption of the Lord and his sovereignty over, over our, our sorrow, we can have the deepest hope and joy in the Lord. So this brings me to my first point. This is the cry to God. My first point is the cry to God. This is seen in verses 1 through 2. Let's reread. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the, the voice of my pleas for mercy. This is why I love the Bible, because right off the bat, the psalmist isn't, he's not fronting. He's not trying to, to cover up. He's not trying to play any games. He's saying, O Lord, I am in the depths. Deep sorrow. The imagery that I see here is the psalmist in the ocean, in the depths, waves, roaring, and he feels like he's drowning. Whether this be due to specific sin that the psalmist has committed or just the realities of living in a broken world, he still finds himself there and he's feeling the weight of it all. How relatable is that? And how honest or how even if we're honest this morning we find ourselves there too some of you right now I'll tell you I was there this week I was there this week and we don't realize that we've just been accustomed to trying to to try to always to just look the best look presentable to other people while inside we're in the depths we're there in the depths you know what I'm talking about that tightness in the chest that stuff that you haven't told anybody else when you're laying in bed at night and then anxiety hits, so that depression hits again. That's what I'm talking about. And I know that y'all know that. Will that be also, too, you find, that you find yourself in the depths of wrestling with that guilt over that sin that you've committed year after year after year after year that makes you think, dang, am I really a believer? That's the depths that I'm talking about. That's the depths that the psalmist is talking about. So what's his first response in that? What does he do? I cry to you, O Lord. That's the first response. It's to cry out to the Lord. God should always be that first option when it comes to crying out for help. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't rely on other brothers and sisters. That's not what I'm saying. But first, he cries out to the Lord. And notice this too. Where does he cry out to the Lord? In the middle of the depths. In the depths. Not after. You should cry out to the Lord always. Pray without ceasing, Paul says. But... In the middle of the depths, that's where he cries out to the Lord. Also, too, see this. When the psalmist cries out to the Lord, he understands his position before the Lord. Look how humble he is. Oh, Lord, hear my voice. Earnestness. That's a begging. Lord, please hear me. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. He asked for the ear and the attention of the Lord. You can see the humbleness, but you can also see the desperation there. He needs God to come through because he's there in the depths. That's what he needs. That's his greatest need is the Lord to just hear his, to just hear his pleas. 
God, please be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. But notice this, though. And I just want you to make a, a mental note of this real quick. Because we'll, we'll dive, we'll, throughout the whole text, we'll kind of see it unravel. He just asks for the Lord to hear him. He doesn't ask him to remove him from the depths. He just asks that the Lord will hear his prayer. And I think this is super, super significant in this text. Is that he just asks for the Lord to hear him. So make a mental note of that. And again, I'm not saying it's wrong or that we shouldn't ask the Lord to remove us from our, from our sin, of course, when we're in times of trial, because we know that the Lord is a deliverer. And then two, what did Jesus pray in the garden? Matthew 26, 39, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So I'm not saying that we can't ask the Lord to, to remove us or deliver us because we know that the Lord is our deliverer. Amen. Praise God. But again, he doesn't ask the Lord to remove him from the depths. But the key is, is that he calls out to the Lord. Now, when we have a problem, right? If, if, if we have a, a medical problem, we want to make sure we're calling out to the right person. I'm not going to call a plumber because my back's hurting. I'm going to go see the chiropractor. It's exactly the same here. But here's the thing with the Lord. Is there's not anything that the Lord isn't sovereign over. And there's not anything that the Lord can't take care of. So whether you're in the depths or you're on the shore or in the mountain or whatever it is, we always cry out to the Lord. But specifically, let me ask you this. When you're in the depths, you're wrestling with your sin. You're wrestling with a loss, deep, deep sorrow. Who do you cry out to? Or let me ask you this. Maybe this is a better question as well. What do you cry out to? Because whoever we cry out to when we are deeply, deeply struggling, and whoever or whatever it is that we turn to, that's for real who we trust. Our first response, the Bible tells us that what's in the, what's in the heart comes out of the mouth. And, I would, and also, too, I would say what we turn, turn to first, that's where our hope is. So when, instead of calling out and crying to the Lord, do you turn to your phone? Do you just allow social media to pacify what's in your heart? I was listening to a, a sermon by Matt Chandler one time, and he called that kind of running to just things that, that occupy our minds so we don't really have to think about what's going on or just watching things to pacify the longings and the, and the deepness of our heart. He called that a spiritual pacifier. And you know what he argued that was behind that? Spiritual warfare. Because it's much, much easier to just watch a video on YouTube that's it's cool, it's nice, it's funny. But what do you think is behind that? We don't wrestle just against flesh and blood. Do you not even cry out when you're in the depths? Do you feel too overwhelmed and too paralyzed to cry out to the Lord and also to his people? Either, wherever you find yourself in that, I've got good news for us. Let's read Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weakness. For when we do not know what to pray for as we ought, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning. Too deep for words. Not only does the Spirit intercede for us as well, but also the Lord Jesus. Again, Romans 8. Christ Jesus is the one who died, 
More than that, who was raised in his where? At the right hand of the Father, who is indeed interceding for us. So wherever you find yourself in that spectrum of amen, if you're calling out to the Lord, whether you find yourself to where you feel too overwhelmed to not call out to anybody or where you're just trying to pacify the longings and the deepness of sorrow in your heart, be encouraged that not only this, this Holy Spirit, but the Lord is interceding to the Father on your behalf. So what does that mean? What does that mean? That gives us a boldness to cry out to the Lord. Because it's not just us who's crying out, but it's the Spirit and the Son as well, making intercession on our behalf. Praise God. We can boldly cry out to the Lord. Not only does the psalmist call us to remember our, not only does the psalmist call us to call out to the Lord, but verse 2 gives us a a glimpse, or verses 3 and 4 give us a glimpse into the confidence of our cry. So let's draw our attention to verses 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, shall mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So we see here, before we can get to the confidence, we got a major problem. If you, O Lord, shall mark iniquities, who could stand? Now that's not just the problem for the psalmist, that's a problem for all of us. Notice this here as well. Anytime in Scripture where we see people who have come in, come in contact uh, with the Lord, the response is very similar. Do you remember in Exodus 33 when God passed his glory before Moses? When he hit him in the rock? And Moses was like, Lord, will you please let your glory be shown to me? And the Lord says, sure, I'll put, and I'll, I'll put you in the rock and I'll let my glory pass, uh, pass over you. And, and Moses saw his back. Listen to his response in, verse, in chapter 33 of Exodus. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. If now I have found favor in your sight, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us, and, and take us for your people. That's Exodus 34, 8 and 9. You see there, Mo- Moses saw the glory of the Lord, and he noticed something's different here. There's something different between me and what I just saw. God didn't tell him what it was. He just picked up on it when he saw the glory of the Lord pass. What is that? We are stiff-necked people and pardon, and we are, we are a people of iniquity. So we, just something about the glory of the Lord. When we come in contact with the Lord, we notice that there's something different. Let me bring attention to your, to your, let me bring to your attention Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When we're confronted with the righteousness of God, we understand that there's a problem, not with the Lord, but with us. 
when we base our understanding of ourselves through the lens of our understanding of God, we see correctly of who we are. We're sinners. And God is, God is holy and he is righteous. And because he is holy and, and righteous, what does that mean? Notice here. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities. Those iniquities have to be marked. They have to be dwelt with. Because God is holy and he is righteous. And don't forget, if he did mark those iniquities, what is that sentence for disobedience to this holy and righteous God? What does Romans 6.23 says? For the wages of sin is what? It's death. You want to talk about the depths. But good news. Listen again in Exodus 33. But when, he, when, when God reveals himself to Moses, what does he say about himself? The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. And what does the psalmist tell us? But with you, there is forgiveness. Where does that forgiveness find its, where does that forgiveness come from? It comes from the same God who, when he reveals himself to us, that we learn is holy and righteous. When we understand the words holy, righteous, and good, when we understand that those words find their meaning in the very character of God, where does that lead us? Where does that forgiveness lead us? The psalmist tells us here that you may be feared. That's why the Lord forgives, so that he will be glorified and he will be feared. When I first read that, I was like, are you sure you didn't mean to say because he loves us? It's because the text says that you may be feared. Now, a lot of times we think with the forgiveness of the Lord, we just think it's like, oh, because God loves us. And I'm not saying that's not the case because of sure God, lo- sure God loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his, his only begotten son. But here he chooses the, the word feared. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for, for us right now? Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord. Here we go. This is, this is, this is Moses telling us what the fear of the Lord entails. To walk in all of his ways. To love him. To serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. And to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord which I'm commanding you today. It's obedience. And how kind of the Lord that in his forgiveness to us, it puts us in a position to spur us on to obedience. Because that's, that, is, that should be the response of our hearts when we, we experience the forgiveness of the Lord. It should lead us to obedience to the Lord. But again, we find ourselves back at that problem. God is holy and righteous, and we are sinners. But don't let you see that the forgiveness of the Lord is our confidence in our cry out to the Lord, and it's also our confidence in our cry out to the Lord when we are confessing our sin to God. Why? Because there is forgiveness with the Lord. 
And this shouldn't scare us from calling out to the Lord, but it should push us to call out to the Lord because he is kind and he abounds in steadfast love. So, let, so recently, Megan and I have decided, well, Megan decided, and then I finally got on board with this great idea that she had to remove our fence. So we had, we, when we bought our house, it came with a chain link fence, really old. When we were taking it down, I realized that it was from Sears, so that's been gone for a minute. So I was just like, dang, I forgot about this place. But anyway, so there's a chain link fence uh, throughout, from our backyard there, but it had become overgrown with poison oak. And there's no telling how long that poison oak's been there. We have tried everything we could do to get that stuff off of that fence. Every single thing. We tried Great Value Roundup. Uh, we tried, Megan has spent hours, we've spent hours cutting, 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 trying to get from the roots, still to no avail. So it hadn't just overgrown or overtaken the fence, but it had become, it had grown and intertwined with the fence. So it wasn't just on it, but it was in it, right? No telling, I'm not sure how long it had been there or what the previous owners had done to try and remedy that. Not only did it look really ugly, but it weakened the integrity and the strength of the fence. It was still the fence, nonetheless, and it still, it still did its purpose, and it could get by. But there were parts that were falling down. It was really weak. So when we took it out, we had to do a lot of hard work. It made the job going from probably like a two-hour job. We also have kids, so it turned into like a three-week job. But I had to get a chainsaw, and I had to get to the bottom of those roots. And sometimes when I, found the, when I got to the roots, there was part of the fence that was even in the roots. It had just become so, the poison oak had just become a part of the identity of the fence. Church, this is how unconfessed sin in our life is. When we don't do the hard work to deal with it, when we don't realize that the Lord is gracious and he is kind and we let that sin fester in our hearts and in our lives, it just becomes part of it. So when you're in need of confessing your sin to the Lord, again, do you cry out to the Lord? Realizing that there is forgiveness with God or do you once again beat yourself up over the guilt of your sin and try and atone for your sin and sprinkle your blood on the altar instead of realizing that Jesus Christ paid sacrifice once and for all for your sin? Are you quick to, quick to rely on the mercy and the forgiveness of God? Knowing that God is the one who bears much mercy and forgiveness as well as it pushes us to obedience, that part of that obedience is, is killing our sin. And, and let me quote John Piper here. And in in the only sin that can't be conquered and killed, or excuse me, the only sin that can be conquered in sin is a forgiven one. And let me tell you, Jesus is real good at forgiving all sins. Let me read you this quote from Dane Ortland. This is from Gentle and Lowly. If you haven't read that book, y'all, it's crazy. It's so good. Just see it. Oh my gosh, it's so good. It just pushes you to just see the heart of Christ. Listen to this. This is what Dane Orland says in Gentle and Lowly. Consider Jesus in Levitical categories. So we're talking about the Le Le Levitical law. 
He's the cleanest person to ever walk the earth. He was the clean one. Whatever horrors cause us to cringe who are naturally unclean and fallen would cause Jesus to cringe all the more. We cannot fathom the sheer purity, holiness, cleanness of his mind and his heart, the simplicity, the innocence, and the loveliness. And what did he do when he saw the unclean? What was his first impulse when he came across prostitutes and lepers? He moved toward them. Church, be encouraged. Be encouraged that knowing that in the, in the grace and the forgiveness of God, we have boldness to confess our sin to the Lord because he is merciful and he is just. And when we confess our sin to him, he is faithful to forgive them. Praise God. So you might ask me, okay, after that, We've confessed our sin to the Lord. We've cried out to God, but my, circumstance, my circumstances haven't changed. So what do we do? What do we do after that? Let me draw your attention to verses 5 and 6. This will be the, my third point, which is the commitment of the cry. I believe I, forget, I failed to mention my second point, which was the confidence of the cry. I'm not sure if I did, but just in case. So, ver, so point three The commitment of the cry. Let's read verses 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. So we see here clearly what the psalmist resolves to do as he waits for the Lord to act in his situation. He waits. He resolves himself to wait for the Lord. So when I first read this, I was like, oh boy, waiting for the Lord. I'm, I'm a very, very, very impatient person. Like, I'm a hobby person. So, and I'm also 100% into my hobbies. It's not like halfway. It's like I got to have the best stuff and I got to fully do it. So if there's something that I really, really want, and you can ask my wife this too, like I will sell my other stuff to get what I want. And I'm not saying that's a good thing about me just so you know. But really, though, what's the, what's the, but think about that, though. With the way that our culture is today, and it's not a criticism of the culture, it's just a reality. When's the last time we waited for something longer than two days? Like, we just, we kind of, it's not a matter of like, oh, I'm not choosing to wait. It's just a matter of, we just really don't have to wait for much anymore. Like, we just kind of don't have to. It's just everything's right there. Something can happen wherever, and you know about it, Sometimes before, maybe someone who is there knows. We just don't have to wait. So with the inexperience of our waiting, how do we wait for the Lord? What does the psalmist resolve to do? First, he resolves himself himself to wait on the Lord. But what does he resolve himself to wait? Where does he put his hope? It's in the Word. It's in the word of the Lord. That's where his hope is. Now, in this waiting, does it mean that it gets easier or, or the, you don't feel the pain anymore? No, that's not it at all. That's not it at all. And, and hear this too. This waiting, it's not a passive thing. It's not like putting a pizza in the oven and going and hanging out for 50 minutes doing whatever. No, this is an active, daily resolving, trusting in the, in the hope of the, or in the, in the word of the Lord. 
It's a daily working that out. Listen to the way that the NIV translates 5 and 6. I really, I, really, I really like this. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. You see there it says my whole being. There's not a part of the psalmist that is not resolving to wait on the Lord. The soul, the entire being, it's every aspect of our life. It's every aspect of our life that we resolve to wait on the Lord. And again, our hope has to be grounded on the word of the Lord. Listen to Proverbs 6. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always and tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. And when you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you wake, they will talk with you. So let me ask you this. If, if, if the word of the Lord is meant to be our hope, when we're laying in bed at night and then anxiety strikes again, when that depression hits again, when you lose somebody, when you're in the depths, if we're supposed to hope and trust in the Lord, how can we hope in the word that we don't know? So believer, God has been so kind and gracious to give us his word. And we know that man does not survive just on bread alone, but it is here that is our hope. It is here that we find our hope, the concreteness of of our life. So we have to know the word to trust in it. Now, and, and then the psalmist moves to a picture of these watchmen who are waiting for the morning. So who, who are these watchmen? What do they look like there in, um, in the time that this was written? Well, the watchmen are the ones that when the whole city's sleeping, they're still up. And they're keeping watch over the city's walls. And they're waiting to see if there's going to be attack or any intruders that try and make themselves or try to attack the city. Can you put yourself here in their shoes? Your whole family sleeping. You're having to keep watch and guard over the city to make sure everything's okay. What do you think that they're waiting on the most? The sun to rise. Because what happens when the sun, when the sun rises? They get to go home. They get to be with their family. But also then anxiety of, oh, is something going to happen tonight? It's over. They're waiting on the sun to rise. See, it's not really a question of, is the sun going to rise? It's a matter of, am I going to see the sun rise? Because they've done it before. They know that the sun rises because they've seen it every single day of their life. It just always happens. Church, this is how our, our hope should be in the word of God. Knowing, because every single day of our lives, the word has always come through. That's where we put our hope. Just as sure as the sun rises, the word of God comes through. It's never failed. But the word of the Lord endures forever, 1 Peter 1.25. And God doesn't just, doesn't just say these words, but he proves these words. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you had one of those things in your life where you're like, I just don't really know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I'm going to get through this. I just don't know how this is all going to work out. I guarantee you, somehow... If you're honest with yourself, and maybe you're not here, that's okay, and you're still working that out. I guarantee you it was for your good and his glory somehow. 
And it doesn't mean that we understand it. But praise God that that's the case. Because even when we don't understand, even when it's still really hard, even when we do fall, even if we really, really fall, the Word of God is concreted and is still there to catch us. And it doesn't matter what happens because we know that it will be for our good and His glory. So my daughter just recently had a birthday one year. And my brother and my sister-in-law, they gifted her like this indoor roller coaster thing. It's crazy. I never seen anything like it. I didn't know they existed. But it comes with this little car and like it has this like two steps on each end. And it's just a roller coaster. It's really cool. But what's funny about Ren is like she doesn't really care to ride the car down. She just really wants to walk up and down. She wants to walk up and down the roller coaster. And it's kind of high. I, I mean, I'd say maybe two, three feet off the ground. And she's, she's great at walking, but she's still kind of figuring it out. So she falls every once in a while. But So she's walking up and down this roller coaster. And when she tried to do it by herself, you could imagine, she fell, of course. But now, so she waits for Megan and I, and we hold her little sweet little hand, and we walk her up and down, and she turns, and she goes back up. And as I was doing this with her this week, it made me realize something. So let me show you, I think, in this, in this picture here, how my hand is kind of like the word of the Lord and also very unfamiliar and not like the word of the Lord. Because when I have her, when she has my hand, she feels secure. Daddy's got me. I can run through this, and I'm going to make it over the mountain and even in, into the valley, and I'm going to turn around, and Daddy's going to bring me back. Church, how much is the word of the Lord like this for us? So let me show you how it's also my hand is not like the word of the Lord because my hand slipped a couple times and let her fall in. Now, even when I got her, she still falls, but it's not, it's not as bad because I got her hand. But when I don't have her hand, or when I am the imperfect one who slips and doesn't hold her, and, and trust me, I'm, I love that little girl and I'm always there for her, but again, I make mistakes. But the word of the Lord is perfect, and it never lets us go. No matter how many times we fall on our own. No matter how many times we fall when we got the word, when we got his hand. It still doesn't let us go. So again, I encourage you brothers and sisters, put your hope in the word of the Lord. Because if you put yourself anywhere, if you put your hope anywhere else, it's not going to come through. But the word of the Lord always comes through and it endures forever. And what confidence does that give us? What confidence does that give us to run to a God who always keeps us, no matter how many times we fall, and we can cry out to him, and with him there is forgiveness? So as if we've seen that we can cry out to the Lord, and he is faithful to forgive us, and in his word we hope. This is bring you to my last point. This is, the, this is verses 7 and 8. This is titled at this point, The Culmination of the Cry. And this gives us a little kind of behind-the-scenes view of what the waiting, what the psalmist is waiting for. Let's read. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. Notice here as well, though, the psalmist goes from talking to God directly in the rest of the psalm to now he's talking to the nation. And he's calling them, O Israel, trust in the Lord. 
it goes from an internal cry to a national one. And also, if you notice, too, when I first read this, I was like, dang, he seems really happy. His disposition has changed a little bit. Why is that? Because his focus is on the Lord. His, his hope is in the Word. His trust is in the Word and in the forgiveness of the Lord. Look again. Oh, Israel, hope in who? The Lord. For with who? The Lord. There is steadfast love and with him plentiful redemption. The psalmist goes from reflecting on his situation to reflecting on who the Lord is. He recalls to memory who he knows the Lord to be because his trust is in the Word. He focuses on two specific things of God here. One, the steadfast love. We hear this quite often in something that we can kind of skip over if we're not careful. So steadfast is defined this way, firmly fixed or in place and not subject to change. Praise God that the Father's love is steadfast and is not subject to change. Because if you recall, we fall quite often. That steadfast love is not based on our performance, but the Lord's. How do we know that the Lord has proved his steadfast to us? Recall to your memory Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Secondly, we see that the psalmist focuses on God's plentiful redemption. Church, that redemption is plentiful. There is much redemption in the Lord to be given to his, to his children. Side note, how many of us believe the lie that, gosh, just one day you're just going to get sick of us and just let us go because we committed that same sin over and over and over and over. It's a great time to take a break from Judges because what do we see? Israel had no king and they did what was right in their own eyes. Every single judge Israel's, give us a king. Oh, this king is really bad. We've been rebelling. God, we need your help. That's us. That is us. And still, time after time, recall, recall the Exodus. God walked them through dry land between the Red Sea. Moses went up on the mountain with the Lord, and he was up there for too long. And what did they do? Golden calf. We are Israel there. But notice when he reflects on the steadfast love and the plentiful redemption, it, it moves him to verse 8. And he will redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. That plentiful redemption and that steadfast love draw out a full payment and full redemption of Israel. He will fully redeem them, not as a matter of will he Will he redeem them a little, some, full redemption? Church, this is where I was talking about there in the beginning of the sermon. This is why even in the greatest depths of sorrow and grief, of sin, that the psalmist didn't ask the Lord to remove him from it. Why? Because he knows, because of his faith in the word, that when he cries out to God, God's goodness of course, we'll hear him, 
And when he calls the Lord to act in his own character, act of who he knows the Lord to be, he knows that the Lord will come through. Because that's who he is. The Lord doesn't just have steadfast love and plentiful redemption. It's who he is. The psalmist is not hoping in his circumstances changing. But he's hoping in the one who is there with him in the depths and, has, and is sovereign over those depths. So we often stop at the sovereignty of God when we're in deep, deep sorrow. I love the sovereignty of God. It's great. It's true. It's, it's biblical. But when we're going through a hard time, our response is usually, hey. And it's not a bad response. It's a biblical one. The Lord's sovereign over it. It'll be for my good and his glory somehow. Amen. But we neglected the fact that the Lord's there in those depths with us. Listen to Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Church again, the Lord is with us there in those depths. He's not distant, but he is near. And I don't mean near as in like on the other side of the streets. I'm talking about Again, those deep, deep sorrows, the Lord is there with you. He is right there with you. So take heart in that. Take heart in the fact that when you are at your weakest, the Lord is there with you. And he offers that plentiful redemption and that steadfast love. And no matter how deep you are, those things aren't removed from you. Because again, that steadfast love is not based on your performance, but on the Lord's. Too often we place our hope in just our circumstances changing and not, just the, and not the fact that the Father is sovereign over it all. Church, you remember when in verse 3 when the psalmist says, if you, O Lord, should mark those iniquities? See, we're still faced with that problem. How did the Lord mark those iniquities? Well, that depends on something. That depends on if we are children of the Lord or if we're unbelievers. So for you, Christian, those iniquities were marked. And they were dealt with. But he was pierced for our transgressions. And he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Those marks were on the body of Christ. The marks that you should have taken, Christ took those for you. For the wages of sin is death. But what's the rest? But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God. Do you remember earlier when I said, when I, when I brought your attention to Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 10? When I said, what, what does the Lord require of you but to love the Lord your God, walk in all of his ways? Listen, listen to Deuteronomy 36. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul so that you may live. See, not only is the Lord there with the depths, and there with us in the depths, but he's the solution to our problem. When we are supposed to fear the Lord and obey him, and we can't because we are sinful, it's the Lord who circumcises our heart and gives us the ability to do that. He's not only the sustainer in our problems, but he's the solution to our problems. And praise God that his word never lets us go because he is faithful to his word. He's not, the only, he's not just in the depths with us, but he brings us out of the depths. 
So if there's an unbeliever here and you haven't trusted in the Lord and you're walking through the, through the depths right now, or Christian, you're walking through the depths right now, with the Lord there is plentiful redemption and steadfast love. So as we go from this place, church, realize that just because we're in deep, deep sorrow, it doesn't mean that we can't have deep, deep joy in the faithfulness of the Lord. So in the mountains this week, church, put your hope in the word of the Lord. In the valleys this week, Lord, or this week, church, put your hope in the word of the Lord. When you're on the shore from coming from the depths, put your hope in the word of the Lord. In every trial, in every joy, put your hope in the word of the Lord. Because he is great and he is worthy of praise. And in all the confidence in the Lord, know that whatever you're walking through, he will fully redeem his people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord. We thank you for your plentiful redemption and your steadfast love. Oh God, how great you are that we as sinful people who fall and fall and fall and yet you are gracious and you are gracious and you are gracious. And you made a way for us, Lord, through your Son. Father, we give you all the glory, Lord. We pray that these songs of praise to you are glorifying and that you enjoy them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.